Oh, welcome, listeners. <laughs> welcome back to part two of this Harry Potter... Um, I extravaganza. Think extravaganza, yeah. We are definitely not recording this about a week after we recorded <laughs> the, the main bulk of the episode. Definitely not. Right. Um, it, the first recording didn't take, like, two hours longer than planned. Definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. And I definitely did not have to awkwardly sign off of last episode by myself. That was all a dream that you had. <laughs> so, with that being said, let's get back to uh, book five. Let's do it. AKA Harry Potter has severe PTSD and nobody helps him with it. Yeah. It was published in June 2003, so it was three years after um, Goblet of Fire. It is 870 pages, which makes it the longest of all of the books. The movie was released in July 2007, and it was directed by David Yates, who ended up directing the rest of the film series and is also directing all of the Fantastic Beasts movies. Mm -hmm. At least so far. He is working on the one that's coming out, and he worked on the first one. The music was done by Nicholas Hooper, which, like, I couldn't really pull anything for him. He just... The only thing I'd ever heard of is this one. Well, yeah. And yeah. it was really well done. The only two soundtracks of Harry Potter I own are this, the first part of the seventh movie and this one. I really liked the... Oh, really? Yeah, I really liked the soundtrack for this one. Yeah. Um, this one, I think the plot kind of sort of falls back into the format of the first three. Um, except that everything just takes so long. And this is where I have to admit, I actually stopped reading the books, or rereading the books for mm -hmm. this podcast in the middle of Order of the Phoenix, because it takes over 200 pages to even get to school. And it doesn't even have the excuse of like, well, there's this big World Cup that's going on. No, it's just all of them hanging out at Sirius Black's home and just being like, we can't tell the kids what's going on. And then Sirius is like, no, I want to tell Harry what's going on. And the big secret that they've been keeping from the kids is... You're in danger. Voldemort, Voldemort is rising to power and he's amassing followers. Quietly. Yeah. He's not causing the scene. And, like, that's it. And it's like... Quidditch World Cup? Yeah, like... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This is what you had to keep a secret from me? Sorry, I'm I'm starting to get a little angry about it, but I yeah. just I want I want to love these last three books and mm -hmm. I just can't love them the way that I love the earlier part of the series. Right. So um, I think you are going to have to sell me on it because I know you like the the second half of the series, Carmen. Yeah, this one is my favorite book actually and my favorite um and my favorite movie. Um, the movie more so because it was so stylistically, like, well done. It was just so... It, it had the charm of the first movie for me with, mm -hmm. like, the seriousness of the later books, which I liked better about them. Um, you know, 
this is a really, it really is really frustrating to read. And when you see at the same time that the adults are keeping these really, you know, these things, you also see Harry losing trust in people. And this is when he starts lying to his friends and not telling them things. Because one of the most characteristic things about Harry, Ron, and Hermione's friendships in the first books is whenever something happens to Harry, the next thing that happens is he, he, he ran to Ron and Hermione. He caught them up on what had just happened in this office or something. It is the yeah. first thing. And, you know, she doesn't go into a long-winded explanation of how he, how he explained it. She just, it's important to say, it's important to know that he tells his friends right away. And one of the mm-hmm. first times that he lies to them is when he comes back from detention from Umbridge's office and he has that carving in his hand from the quill. And they ask him if he's okay, and he, like, starts to tell them and then thinks about it and then doesn't. And he, it even says that he didn't know why he wasn't telling them something or why he was, like, lying to them. But he just starts keeping things to himself like everyone else is keeping things from him. And it's a really, really sad transition because it's so hard to read because he's not getting, like, he's not getting the help he needs. People aren't explaining things to him, like, you know, to they're not giving him credit to his maturity levels, I suppose. And why he deserves to know some of the things that they're talking about. And, like, why they're keeping seemingly such little things from them, too. Like, I, it's really frustrating to read. But it is, it just, it, it delves into some of my favorite parts about the Wizarding World. And we can talk about that as we go with the synopsis, I suppose. I think, regardless of his maturity level, he's being actually tortured at school. Yeah. Like, regardless of his maturity level, he needs to someone needs to pull him aside and give him a reason about why these things are happening to him. Not just be like, Oh, well, don't worry about it. Like he has permanent scarring from being tortured by a teacher. What? (laughs) All right. So I think this synopsis will actually be a little bit quicker than Goblet of Fire because the book tends to go into a lot more details about like, the way that Harry is feeling and, like, his interpersonal relationships. Right. So there's less happening. Yeah. So the book starts with him at the Dursleys, and he is very frustrated because he has not received a lot of correspondence from his friends, and he's like, Voldemort's back. I really need to know what's going on. He resorts to um, actually laying underneath the windowsill, of the living room so that he can hear the nightly news um, without having to interact with his aunt and uncle. And he's like, no, I'm just trying to listen for anything unusual, anything out of the ordinary that might hint that Voldemort's doing stuff, but no, things are quiet. Um, He is finally allowed to leave once basically the adults get clearance from Dumbledore. (sighs) This is where my, this is where how I feel about Dumbledore just really starts to take a downward turn. Um, so the adults who are a part of a society called the Order of the Phoenix, um, they're explicitly like anti-Voldemort and Death Eaters. And, you know, they try to secretly do good and, and kind of infiltrate, um, you know, maybe more dangerous places to get insider knowledge of what's going on. Um, they take him to Sirius Black's house, which is magically kept secret. Um, basically, you have to know the address in order to be able to see it and get into it. Um, while there, the adults essentially tell him 
stuff that he could have guessed, um, which is Voldemort is just trying to amass power and followers, and that's why it's quiet, because he doesn't want the wizarding world as a whole to like actually know that he um, is back. It'll be a lot easier to come in with a bang rather than like, hey, I'm back. <laughs> Who wants to join? Harry discovers that over the summer, the government um, has been trying to discredit him and Dumbledore. Neither of them made an official statement about what happened at the end of the school year in Goblet of Fire, but there are still very much very powerful rumors going around that um, Harry saw the rise of Voldemort. And the government does not like this because it causes a lot of unrest. And basically they're just like, no, it's a power grab that Dumbledore is making so that he can be the Minister of Magic. Which doesn't make any sense because he's turned down the position many times at this point. Right. Yes, exactly. Um, This all takes 200 pages and then they go to school. (laughs) (laughs) Um, While at school, they discover that the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher this year um, was actually put in place by the government. So she is basically going to be a spy, and she is there to quell all rumors of the return of Voldemort. As a result, Harry gets detention many times, where he is forced to use a magical quill that actually draws from his own blood, and he has to write the lines, I must not tell lies, over and over, until, as Mary Jane mentioned, he is permanently scarred. Because her class is not very practical, um... Hermione encourages um, Harry to basically teach those that want to understand the practical side of the Defense Against Dark Arts. That is one of my favorite parts of this book. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's actually, like, it's unfortunate that I stopped reading, like, right before they started their first lesson, because Mm -hmm. those are some really good scenes. It's really exciting. This is, like, this is what Harry really, like enjoys doing and it's where he realizes that when he grows up he wants to fight against the dark arts Uh yeah for for me it's just like the dursleys clearly are not adults to him Mm -hmm. dumbledore is has this weird control over him but also is starting to not be an adult to him sirius can't be an adult to him because he's in hiding who's in charge of harry potter like, who who can honestly be told or... Like, it's nobody. He's got nobody. He's I got think, a bunch of people looking out for him. Yeah. But nobody is his parent or parents. I think it's Dumbledore, just, weirdly enough, would say, like, he... I think he thinks that he's probably that to Harry um, at some point. Um, I just yeah. don't... I, I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe... Yeah. I it's guess so hard that. to tell. Yeah. But that that's one of the things I like about the about the Dumbledore's army and them mm-hmm. kind of doing their own thing is it's almost like Harry Potter being like, okay, nobody else is going to be a grown-up to me. I'm going to be a grown-up to myself. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. Fine. <laughs> yeah, and then he starts keeping his own secrets. Like, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a big change. Yeah. Um, Harry... And Voldemort, it turns out, have 
some sort of weird magical connection because of like the curses that have been exchanged between them. Mm-hmm. And Voldemort exploits this and tricks Harry to going to the Department of Mysteries at the Ministry of Magic, where um, Harry and his friends are ambushed by a bunch of Death Eaters. And this is where uh, Sirius dies and where Harry discovers that what Voldemort really wants is a prophecy concerning him and and Voldemort. Mm -hmm. Because Voldemort knows the first part of the prophecy, but he doesn't know the second part. The first part of the prophecy is that a boy is going to be born that is going to take down Voldemort. And so that's why Voldemort wants to kill Harry. Mm -hmm. The second part is that one must die by the hand of the other, because while both of them live, like... One can't uh, live while the other survives. Whatever, yeah, so. like, it, it, it's mystical. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the way that it's worded. Um, the prophecy is destroyed and nobody hears it at the Ministry of Magic. But, oh, hey, Dumbledore has a record of it because he was the one that witnessed the prophecy. Of course. Yeah, he even mentions that. He even mentions that in the third book, actually. He mentions very briefly that Professor Trelawney Mm -hmm. um, had made one correct prediction in the past. And he's kind of making a joke of it. But, yeah, that was it. That was it. Yeah. Um, At this showdown at the uh, Ministry of Magic, the Order of the Phoenix shows up and... Voldemort and Dumbledore duel, and uh, Cornelius Fudge, who is the Minister of Magic, comes in, sees that, is like, oh, poop. Right. Uh, <laughs> sorry, my bad. Mm-hmm. And uh, Harry continues to suffer through PTSD and goes home after yeah. exams. The and, end. And let me say, the end of that movie is like, I think it must be the last 20 or 25 minutes is my favorite, my favorite scene in any Harry Potter movie ever is from, from the fight with the death eaters to Sirius's death to um, Voldemort and Dumbledore's fight to Harry getting possessed and then pushing him out because he pities him. You know, it's, yeah. Oh my gosh, it is so, it's such an epic moment. And the music, I, I don't know anything about Nicholas Hopper, Hooper, if that's what his name is. But mm-hmm. the score that plays, like, as he's looking at his friend's faces and Voldemort is trying to, like, twist him and turn him and stuff, just, yeah, it, it strikes me. Very, yeah. It's just, it's so, it's so good. It's so emotional. That battle, like, everything so else up to that point has been, like, Expelliarmus! Uh-huh. It, like, it's like, oh! This yeah. is, oh! This is why <laughs> <are> dangerous! Magic <laughs> is, like... And it kind of makes dangerous, you, yeah. It kind of makes you disappointed. Like this whole time in school, all you've been learning is like how to turn a canary into a peacock or whatever. Right. And it's like, no, I want to do that. <laughs> yeah, I want to. I want to <laughs> fight with fire dragons and shards of glass. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. really, really. Oh, I love the end of that movie, and maybe it's just the end itself that just really makes it for me. But it really is my favorite movie. Um, as uh, really quickly, I do want to bring up how much I enjoyed the hospital in the books. Um, yes. It wasn't in the movie, and I kind of understand they have to cut stuff out, so I'm not that disappointed about this one. But hearing like the different floors for each, you know, each floor had specific things like magical bites or stings or something like that or other creature-related things. And the next one would be, like, backfired charms or, you know, misused potions or something like that. Like, mm-hmm. it's it was so fun to read that. 
Um, they had their own little, and they don't even call their doctors doctors. They call them healers because yeah, you know, I like that too. Um, and then they run into Professor Lockhart, and it's a really really charming, um, yeah. callback because yeah. you still kind of hate him, but it, you pity him even more because he's just completely literally lost his mind. Um, right. and they, and he charms the nurses still, and they all still love him because he's like, oh, it's just. He's still handsome. He's still, he still handsome. Has, you know, the most handsome smile. And now he's really world. needy, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's really fun to see that. And then to see them run into, uh, I believe this is in the fifth one, to see them run into Neville's parents because then it mm-hmm. introduces that whole branch of the story that is huge that you just don't yeah. even know about yet. Oh, yeah. a- again, like, maybe we should take this Neville kid aside and be like, uh-huh. hey, um... About your parents being tortured into insanity, do you want to, like, talk about that? Yeah. Like, I like to think that maybe Neville has some, he's he's had some, I don't know, his grandma is whatever, but at least, I don't know, I hope she would have done something about that. At least yeah. she loves Neville, you know, not like Harry's so-called guardians. Um, something really sweet, too, I want to bring up is when they are in the hospital and Madam, or, yeah, they're in the... I guess they're in the hospital wing at Hogwarts because it's Madame mm-hmm. Pomfrey's there. But Ron is being treated for his injuries sustained in the um, Department of Mysteries, which is oh, the funnest part of the book. The little mm-hmm. Death Eater's head shrinking and growing into yeah. a baby was like, I could not stop thinking about that like weeks after I read that. I was like, what? Oh, that's, oh, it's horrible. Anyway, Ron sustained some injuries from some brain tentacles. And that's weird, but that's just what it is. And um, Harry notes at the end, he says, according to Madame Pomfrey, thoughts could leave deeper scarring than almost anything else. So they would take a long time to heal. Because, <laughs> you know, thoughts leave the deepest scars, even though in Ron's case, it's literal. He was literally attacked by the right. brains. But it just yeah. kind of gives you this impression like this stuff isn't over and it's going to haunt Harry probably for the next foreseeable future and stuff because he he just i mean he saw cedric diggory die and that was extremely traumatizing but now he watched someone he loved die right in front of him and yeah yeah it's bad y'all yeah i know i've kind of been talking about this story with kind of a bit of disdain but a lot of it just has to do with the fact that i don't know I think a good 150 pages could be cut out of the first act of the book. Sure. Because once it gets to it, like, the book does get really exciting. And there is a lot of, again, interpersonal stuff and, like, personal relationships that are developed in this book. Mm -hmm. And it's definitely an important book, even if it's not my favorite. Right. Kind of like I mentioned in our last episode with the Beatles. Right. Like, Abbey Road is not my favorite album. But it is, I feel like, the most important Beatles album. Sure. And I feel kind of like that with um, Half or uh, Order of the Phoenix. Yeah, not my favorite, but probably the most important. I get it. So moving right along, next in the series is Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince. It was published July two thousand five, uh, six hundred and fifty two pages. The movie was released July two thousand nine. It was again directed by David Yates. And music was by Nicholas Hooper again. And I think since we kind of mentioned, you know, first act, second act, we're just going to go ahead and like keep going, I think, with this pattern of Mm -hmm. the standard story. And this is kind of like the calm before the storm. This is the, the little dip in the rising action. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, and you feel um, it too. It's I I do not like this book very well much. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's essentially Harry Potter and the year where he just goes to school. Yeah. Pretty and much. things are fine. <laughs> Learns a lot I mean, about his past, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Harry Potter and like the most unremarkable year, you know, ignoring the fact that it, there is a murderous wizard Hitler out there. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, the wizarding community has kind of been like, we're going to fight against him like we did the first time. Mm-hmm. And the school is still relatively safe. And Harry has a competent potions teacher for the first time in six years. And Snape is still a douchebag, but that's Snape. That's Snape. What you gonna do? What you gonna do? Yeah. So, I mean, I would summarize it, but I, like, I honestly can't think of anything significant that happens in this book Not- that's worth summarizing. <clears throat> um, no. Um, I, it's, uh, it's worth noting, like, the, the charm of this potions book he finds, but not really even that is a seemingly super important plot point in and of itself, but it is named after the Half-Blood Prince, which in a mm-hmm. twist of events turns out to be Snape himself. And that is really, and until the end when they go and visit the Horcrux, yeah, it really is just Harry visited, visits with Dumbledore. He learns something about Voldemort's past. Um, he goes to more school, you know, and of course there's drama. He's realizing that he has feelings for Ginny too, but I mean, having a crush and going to school and, you know, going and seeing your headmaster, just exactly what sounds like a normal school year to me. There's no... There's no threatening tournament, you know, that's way out of his league or some lurking monster ready, and, uh, like you said, except for the wizard Hitler. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's actually quite boring. I Pleasantly for Harry, I hope. It was nice to have a peaceful year before, you know, his last year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty, it's, it's slow moving. I actually really like the half-blood prince Um, (laughs) well great i'm just like opposite of everyone no it's fine you're here to convince us why we should like it Mm -hmm. i don't really have a reason though i just like the planning aspect of it of Mm -hmm. like we're gonna find out exactly what we're gonna do and like it because before all the battles were just do a bunch of spells and then run away (laughs) and it just didn't seem like no better Yeah, and it just didn't feel like you were making any headway, really. And now I feel like Half-Blood Prince really establishes, like, no, we've made progress. We're going to continue making progress. Right. And we haven't figured everything out yet, but this is a definite plan. And uh, that was... I, I like that a lot better than just hit you over the head with a skillet and then... Run away really fast. Yes. <laughs> or wait till the grown-ups show up. Yeah. Or whatever, you know. Yeah. I will say, um, this book, despite the fact that it is not my favorite, and it ranks very low, it does have my favorite chapter in the entire series. Huh. And that is chapter one, The Other Minister. Yeah. And I love it because up until this point, there's been a lot of talking about like the way the wizards interact with the muggle world as being just like, we keep it secret and then we erase their memories if they get too close to the truth. And we have all these anti-muggle spells. And da 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 And 
it just does beg the question, like, I mean, is that just, is that it? Like, yeah. there's no system in place? Right. And in the book, and I'm a little sad that this isn't included, it's not included in the movie, is it? No. no? Um, it shows the prime minister of, you know, the muggle world of, of the UK. Um, he is in his office and he discovers that the Minister of Magic basically does a yearly visit. And, you know, as Prime Minister, he is privy to the information of this uh, wizarding world that exists. Mm -hmm. And basically he just has to keep it secret or else, you know, and somebody waves their wand and is like, nah, or else I'm gonna say some words and wave this wand at the same time. And it shows... Uh, Cornelius Fudge kind of popping in over the years and being like, yeah, so things are fine. Things are fine. And then like, as Voldemort is closer to like rising to power, it becomes a more panicked, like, yeah, no, everything's fine. Everything's just fine. <laughs> and then finally, because of the way that Fudge mishandled the uh, way that in particular, the press handled reporting the rise to power. Um, he is booted out of office and a new minister of magic takes place. And he, you know, basically sits down and he's like, I'm going to tell it to you straight. We've got Magic Hitler that we're dealing with. Y'all are in danger because he really hates you guys. <laughs> and we're going to do our best. But... You know, things are not going to be pretty. And the poor prime minister is just, like, left there being like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I really like this chapter for the same reasons. And I feel like, especially in the fandom, you have, oh, why didn't this happen? And why didn't that happen? And why didn't my ship happen the way that I wanted it to? The only thing about Harry Potter that I don't like like just flat out do not like is the lack of interaction with the muggle world and how mm -hmm. all the muggles kind of act the same and they all act like the Dursleys really. Mm -hmm. And you'd think just like, if this were real, I definitely understand keeping it secret because think of like the average person, like knowing that some people can you know kill you yeah. with magic. Like that would be terrifying. But at the same time, like, I feel like there are some people who would be chill with it. And I feel that would really deepen the world and, like, make it more believable. If it's like, oh, yeah, my cousin, you know, Phil is a wizard. He goes to that, that magic school. How weird <laughs> is that? You know, and, and maybe have, like, little communities of people that are just like, this is a, this is a group of muggles and in this perimeter you can come here as a wizard or a mm -hmm. witch and just be yourself and they're fine with it. Um, and kind of like the complications with that and how that would work. It would take a lot more of the story, but it would, I feel, make it more believable. No, I yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And, yeah, and it would make it more, because like at the way that muggles are represented in the Harry Potter books, you almost kind of see where the Death Eaters are coming from. <laughs> like, it's like, I, I'm more powerful, but I have to keep a secret? Like, why should I keep a secret when I'm so powerful? Why can't they just, you know, 
submit to me and my power. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I think if I were a witch, I would think that. I'd be like, uh, no, I'm not hiding who I am. What are you going to do about it? Burn me at the stake? Yeah. I can apparate. <laughs> like, yeah, that's kind of what kills me is that there is a history of the, the like, strife between them. But, um, yeah, from what we know about most witches and wizards now, I feel like most of them were just to stave off muggles, maybe, you know, and just, like, make them think that they got them. <laughs> yeah, and how easy would it be to be like, Okay, yes, I am a wizard, but I can cure leprosy. Yeah, but how about some, uh, you know, an amazing feast tonight? Yeah. Hey, about the whole, like, famine in North Korea? I can help you with that. <laughs> Just, you know, there's, it would take some time and it would take some getting used to, but eventually you could kind of culturally you know, cultivate this idea of, hey, wizards and witches are good right. and yeah. we like them. So that's Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Oh, also, as we have been discussing this, because again, we've been planning this episode for a very, very long time. Mary Jane had me laughing so hard when she pointed out that Snape is basically just 15 years old forever. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. He never really... Yeah. Gosh, that makes me sad. Because you were telling me about how, like, he... Okay. Oh, his Half-Blood Prince thing. Yeah. (laughs) Just... Yeah, it's... Just, like, who comes up with a nickname for themselves? A 15-year-old. Yes, a 15-year-old. But most grown-ups, once they become grown-ups, they look back at stuff like writing... Oh, this is the property of the Half Blood Prince, and go. Oh, I'm really glad I'm not that person yeah, anymore. But Snape owns it at the end. Yeah, it is I, the Half Blood Prince. You're like, oh, Snape. Oh no. Well, and like everything up to this point, well, and even in the next book where you discover that he basically is in love with Harry's mom, like is currently in love, even though she has been dead for 17 years. Um, always. Yeah, just always gonna be in love with her. Like, <laughs> if he if he were a modern day muggle, he would be one of those guys that you see online that, like, wears the fedora and has a katana and calls every woman my lady. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> he was, like, the one that was always her friend and always nice to her and always there for her, but she still didn't have feelings for him, so he flipped out. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Because, oh. you know... At that point, she owes him, right? Right. Like, (laughs) oh my gosh. (laughs) But yes, like, he definitely is like, I am the half-blood prince. (laughs) Yeah, he owns it. And yeah, it's it's kind of a testament to how little he's grown up, I guess, at that point. Is he still relishes, like, a time where he thought kind of highly of himself and um, wrote the half-blood prince just so convincingly and... (laughs) dedicated and not embarrassed or cringy he probably was a little bit embarrassed by he's like nope can't show i gotta own up to it now (laughs) yeah yeah just like any adult would be like i don't know where you got that book harry (laughs) like oh i don't (laughs) wasn't me (laughs) nope (laughs) he owns it (laughs) all right and here we are at the end harry potter and the deathly hallows 
published July 2007, which means that up to this point, Joe had been keeping up a pretty good pace of publishing every couple of years. It is 759 pages long. The movie was released in November 2010. Part one was released in November 2010, and then part two was released in July 2011. Uh, directed by David Yates, and then the music for this one was done by Alexander Desplat, which anybody who, you know, might remember, like, an episode from eight months ago, maybe, um, (laughs) would know that Alexander Desplat is actually one of my favorite composers, and I think that it is not a coincidence that this movie has some of my favorite scores in the series. The... Um, the plot is kind of weird because there is no middle ground for like, well, here's a good, like, not too long, not too short summary. Mm -hmm. You either have to under-summarize it or over-summarize it. So I'm going to attempt to under-summarize it because otherwise I think I would be doing it for way too long. Um, the book starts with the wedding between one of the Weasley children and actually one of the competitors from the Triwizard Tournament. And it is done at the borough, and it feels kind of weird because it's like, well, like, how dare we be happy in the middle of this, like, genocide that's happening around us. But it happens, and everybody is, like, super into this wedding prep, and then a bunch of Death Eaters attack. And it is at this point that Harry, Ron, and Hermione commit to a decision that they had made the previous year to not go back to school and instead um, hunt down these horcruxes, um, these magical items that Voldemort has uh, put a part of his soul into in an attempt to become immortal. Mm -hmm. The next, like, two-thirds of this book is them wandering around trying to figure out how to find these artifacts and how to destroy them. And this is the part that I'm going to kind of under-summarize because that's essentially all it is. Like, they search different people for different people and they have different encounters with Death Eaters and they go to a whole bunch of places and they do successfully find um, these uh, horcruxes. The... Uh, end of the book ends up back at Hogwarts because the last couple of Horcruxes are there, and that is where the final showdown happens. Oh, and between, I love the final showdown. Mm-hmm. Between Voldemort and his Death Eaters, and then the students at Hogwarts, and the teachers, the and uh, the Order of the Phoenix. There's not a lot of other aid that comes... Uh, to, to help the students in the order yeah, um, from from the outside wizarding world. <laughs> it's basically just, that's who it is. Yeah, the only family kind of outside of, I mean, I guess they're in the order too. It doesn't really make sense, but the whole Weasley family shows up. Yeah. You know, that's the only real response. The rest of it is just strictly um, the order. What's up? The It does mention um, the villagers in Hogsmeade. Oh, it does? Oh, yeah, they do show up it's um i can't remember at what point but there's a point where um bill weasley basically leads a charge of several family members and oh wow the I residents forgot. of hogsmeade 
Well, I am very pleased to be proven wrong in this case. <laughs> but it's still one town. Yeah. It's like... Right. Well, you know, and you mm. have to consider, you have the the house elves end up coming into play, and then some of, like, the statues, but but those mm-hmm. are all things that were already at Hogwarts, I guess. But yeah, Hogsmeade yeah. is close enough. It makes me wonder if, if, the, if other people had been in closer communication, like if some people used phones or something, if maybe they could have had... <laughs> A better right. a better response for their call for help. Yeah, seriously. The phone tree. Yeah. This, this does happen in the year 1997. So yes, it's not like I you remember can do a, phone a group trees. Text. So you have the phone tree. Of course. <laughs> um, Harry uh, faces Voldemort and he realizes that um, in order to save everybody, he has to die. And he doesn't... Because uh, he's a horcrux. Because he's a horcrux. Yep. He figures out that when Voldemort cursed him as a child, that Voldemort inadvertently left part of his soul in Harry, and uh, that Voldemort would not be able to die until Harry was dead. So he sacrifices himself, and uh, there's a kind of... (sighs) I've always found it a bizarre scene where... I don't know. They're in this weird, like, halfway world, and Harry meets Dumbledore, and Dumbledore explains a lot of things, and then he's like, well, so the Voldemort part of you is dead. You can go back now. Yeah. And Harry does go back, and they defeat Voldemort and the Death Eaters, and... Honestly, the... That's it. Yeah. The end of that book... The end of that book was one of the most exciting... uh, Because I can't remember, I... It was pretty late at night, and I was only going to read a few chapters, but I got to a certain point, I think it's right after Dobby dies, that you can't stop reading. Yeah. And yeah. so I finished so it fast. off, and I was like, I cannot believe how perfect that ending was. Like, I, I'm not a fan of monologues to begin with, but Harry mm-hmm. and Voldemort both have their chance to monologue a little bit, and it clears mm-hmm. a lot of, of questions, and they, you get a lot of closure. Oh, it's so satisfying, and then, you know, they have their little weird little duel and it happens um the movie didn't quite capture like the epicness of that whole thing for me because they're like circling each other and everyone's on the outskirts hiding behind pillars watching and oh it's so exciting and the pacing was perfect for the battle scene at the end they're just perfectly chaotic mm-hmm. too right up until they finally yeah. face each other and then it's all quiet yeah, and I thought that that was written particularly well, because like, like you said, I think chaos is a really good descriptor of that, because, I mean, everything, everywhere that Harry moves, even though we're following him, like, he keeps on running into people, and they're like, oh yeah, we just did this, and we're off to do this now, and they leave, and he walks like 10 feet, and then he runs into somebody else, and they're like, yeah, we just finished doing this, and we need to go help these yeah. people over here now, and it's just like, oh my God. he can't he can't make it to the end of the hallway without like yeah. <laughs> interacting with somebody who's doing something different to help. Right. It's not all just like one wall of people versus another wall of people. Yeah. Professor Trelawney throwing her crystal balls <laughs> and <laughs> knocking out Greyback. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's just so yeah. perfect. Yeah. Heart and then like, I hesitate to bring this up because it's not something that I love with all of my heart um, because of the way that the movie does this scene. But 
I love that at the end of everything, once the battle's over, Harry does the one responsible thing that he has ever done in the entire series. He has this elder wand, which is the most powerful wand in existence, and he fixes his own wand, um, which had broken previously in the book. And he kept it around, even though he knew it wasn't usable. But he's like, I don't know. I have this most powerful wand in the world, and it belongs to me because of the weird way that magic and property works. Yeah. And he fixes his wand, and then he just gives it back to Dumbledore, who is dead at this point and in the tomb. Yeah. And his reasoning is, well, once I die, it's not going to have a master anymore, and it won't be the power, like the most powerful wand in the world. And it is so incredibly responsible of him that, like, it's almost shocking. But it's also, I think, a really satisfying way to end that series yeah i mean to me that was like the best ending for the series i know that the book continues on at that point but he's acknowledging that his wand is his and even though it does share a connection with voldemort still because they shared the same wand core um he's not going to try and erase that part of him Mm-hmm. And I think that's incredibly mature. It's very um, therapeutic, too. It'll... Yeah, yeah. It's, I think more than the death of Voldemort, it's saying, once I die, it's over. Mm-hmm. Like, Because that was kind of the argument, Horcruxes versus Hollows. Mm-hmm. The Horcruxes are gone, and now the Hollows will be gone. Mm-hmm. And, and everyone can stop being scared of death, because yeah. that's pretty, that's a big, I mean, yeah, I, I don't really know where I was going with that. <laughs> So. Yeah, no, I, I get it, though. But like, I mean, at the end, Dumbledore... Dumbledore says in the pretty... Pretty near the beginning, he says something about, like, um, death being nothing but the next great adventure or something, which kind of reminds me of Peter Pan. But also mm-hmm. um, him saying that one of Voldemort's biggest flaws is that he doesn't realize that there are things worse than death. Right. And that is a huge... Like, that is a huge thing that Voldemort never, never understands... And Harry really does by the end because he was ready to do it. You know, by the end, he walks up to the Forbidden Forest and he's like ready to do it. And he realizes, yeah, there are worse things than dying. It's um, living in a world where Voldemort still exists for one. Like, it's just, it's very, it, it is, it's such nice closure for him to fix his own wand before he throws it. Not like he does in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. It, it. Yeah, it always drove me a little nuts that in the movie he's like, I'm going to snap this wand in half and then throw it over the like thing. The, and oh, how am I going to perform magic from this point forward? Who knows? The book was the, the book was so perfect. It should have just... Yeah. It was a long ending, but they should, they should have stuck with it. Yeah. I mean, it would have been, what, like an extra 45 seconds of film? Yeah. Like, it would have been fine. Um, in the movies, though, I really like the way that the um, story of the three brothers was animated. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that as far as visual representations in the movies go, that was, like, number one for me. When I'm reading the books, I kind of just skimmed over that part because I was like, oh, whatever. It'll be some weird thing later. But in the movies, I definitely got a more... It's like, oh, no, this is important. Yeah. Like, I don't know why it's important, but it's important. Of course, by that point, I did know why, but it, uh, 
made it stand out more. Yeah. Um, another thing about the end of the books is the closure that he gets with the Dursleys eventually, even though it's yes. really half-assed closure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's something, you know. Um, in the fifth book, Harry starts to sympathize a little bit with Ampetunia because he realizes, oh, if Ampetunia is anything, she still does understand a little bit about the magical world and stuff. And I right. really... I'm really glad that there's someone here who understands how big of a deal Voldemort is and stuff. And I think that's kind of like the start of his like, okay, I'm probably, I'm probably never going to see these people again, but they have done a lot for me considering, you know, I mean, they're, they were horrible. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're not going to find me arguing that the Dursleys weren't horrible, but whatever it is that they provided it, like it gave Harry some sort of like safety, you know? in yeah. a world that was like out to get him and I'm really glad that by the end he shakes Dudley's hand and even Dudley's confused as to why he's shaking Harry's hand. Yeah, I really liked that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, closure it's, closure it's, all around. Good feelings all around. It's a good way to finish the series. Even though there were some rocky parts to it, I think that Deathly Hallows is just good. Yeah. Good. Full stop. Me too. Yeah. So this is the part where I am a little um, nervous that we're just going to like lose our minds. Uh, we've done a really good job of keeping the structure that we kind of hoped for, but we've got to get into the fandom. Mm-hmm. This is this is the part that makes Harry Potter enjoyable, even after. you know a decade after it's been <laughs> done. Really, essentially, though. yeah. So uh, I don't know. Maybe we just go in a circle and share one thing that we like about the fandom. I don't know how to go about this. Um, let's just talk about what's the first thing you think about when you think of fandom? Like, do you think about Pottermore? Or do you think about, like, Potter Puppet Pals? <laughs> or... I, I think Puppet Pals. Definitely. Yeah. I'm just, I can't bring myself to read anything off Pottermore. There was kind of a suggestion from Audrey that I would kind of be like the Pottermore person in this podcast. Uh-huh. And I just can't do it. That's it's fair. rough. It's just... now uh, Every time I think about it and try and read something in my head, I'm just like, oh, shut up. <laughs> like, I don't even want the epilogue. And not even that it didn't turn out the way I wanted it to, because I didn't really have a feeling about it. But if you just lobbed the epilogue off, I would have been totally happy. You don't have to explain everything. And, you know, maybe it's just, like, the Tolkien nerd in me that's, like, okay with having things not being explained and kind of appreciates the magic of that. But just, ugh, there's just a part of me that's just, like, I don't care rolling or rowling or however you say your name. I I just don't care. The series is over. Let it go. And it was kind of perfect as it was contained in itself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I understand that. So I will say I will say this for Pottermore though. I really like that it gives people a sense of like community and ownership of the fandom because the first thing that you have to do, you have to do this when you want to sign in for an account on Pottermore is you get sorted into your house. And I, I love the quiz because it's not immediately obvious like oh well I want to be sorted into Gryffindor so I'm going to choose all the Gryffindor answers. Mm-hmm. Like it's not obvious which answers are which because sometimes it's like this or this. You only have two choices. Sometimes you have like eight choices for things. It's not, you know, 
a BuzzFeed quiz, right. essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, that was a really fun part for me, too. I I got sorted into Slytherin, and I was really surprised, but... Because I certainly wasn't trying for it, but I ended up kind of, like, understanding a little bit more. After I learned more about the house, you know, it's not so bad yeah. after all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like the... Um, you know, what Harry Potter house do you belong to has become, like, one of the top three, like, ways of gauging a person's personality. Yeah. Like, there's the Myers-Briggs test, where you find out which of, like, 16 archetypes you are, and, you know, there's the, like, color personality test, and then there's what Harry Potter house do you belong to. <laughs> That's valid. And, you know, if I met somebody, like, just a complete stranger, and were to ask them, like, what what house do you belong to? And they were to be like, I I belong to Hufflepuff. I'd be like, oh, cool. I know, like, so much about you right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm a Ravenclaw, which did not really surprise me when I got that result. Because growing up, I read hundreds upon hundreds of books Mm -hmm. And I always had a drive to have, like, straight A's in all of my classes and, you know, just do extremely well academically. And um, those who kind of know me know that I tend to think a little bit more rationally than emotionally. Mm -hmm. And um, I also have really not the best interpersonal skills. Sure. So, you you know, Ravenclaw. (laughs) Yeah. Um, MJ, I seem to recall you being Slytherin, right? Yes. I thought so. That made sense I, to me. I avoided getting sorted because, I, again, I was like, ugh, shut up. <laughs> and Audrey convinced me. And then after I got sorted, I wouldn't shut up myself <laughs> about like, oh, like, it makes so much sense just to be like a nerd and just come out and say it. Hi. But like, you know, I start. I started thinking about that first uh, Sorting Hat song about how, like, Slytherins use any means to achieve their ends. And I'm like, that's that's a little bit true. That's it makes sense, man. Far. Yeah. I just think of, like, times where I, like, get obsessed with something because I want to accomplish something or I want to prove that I'm right about something. And I'm just kind of like, ah, oh, all right, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it was. Uh, I I think I'm going to step in here and uh, plug our social media really quick. I know I've not posted anything on Twitter for a very, very long time, but I will say I do keep my notifications open. So if you tweet at us, at Kittens and Kanye, with what your house is, like, I I will respond. I will. Yes. Like Slytherin forever. (laughs) I'm really interested in seeing, like, just house pride. Like, tell us where you're sorted and, like, why you like it or why you disagree with your your sorting. Right. And is there a test out there more accurate than the Pottermore test? Yes. You think? I'd take it. Yes. I'd take the test. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and I know that these aren't quite emphasized quite as much, but on Pottermore you can also find out what wand would belong to you. And I thought that was very fun. And you can also discover your Patronus. Mine is a stoat. A what? A stoat. What is that? It's a kind of weasel. I should take that. That is on Pottermore, you said? Yep. Okay, I shall... If it's not a cat, I I don't accept it. 
That is a type of weasel. Yep. Stout. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, look, here's a picture of a stoat. Riding a hare? Riding a hare. <laughs> what? Um, oh, no, it's killing a rabbit. That's, oh. That doesn't... Okay. You need to not put that on the screen. Your rabbits might see it. Yeah. They'll be traumatized. What is this? <gasps> oh. Um. So there was... I remember... It took me a while to get into this one, but it is actually very funny. There is a YouTube series called Wizard People, Dear Reader... And it is the goofiest, funniest guy um, just dubbing over the Harry Potter movies. And you can still hear a little bit of the Harry Potter movies underneath, but mostly it's him just narrating, like, I think he calls Ron, like, Ron Weasel just constantly. And he just has the, it is so funny and it doesn't sound like it has a lot of potential, but Wizard People Dear Reader is probably my favorite fandom produced thing from harry potter because he does all the movies he goes through all seven movies and you learn like these different convoluted names for all the characters because like it almost sounds like he couldn't care less about the books or like the story that they're following (laughs) he's just like first impression what's on the screen is you know what i'm gonna talk about it's they're really really funny and we used to watch them all the time um, they're quite, they're, they're long they're the movies but they're also worth some time but i remember the first the first fandom stuff I was exposed to was the um, Potter Puppet Pals. And mm-hmm. I look back on it now and I kind of like cringe at myself because my friends and I would like memorize different parts of each one and like do skits with just the exact same, <laughs> the exact same <laughs> scripts of these Potter Puppet Pal videos. And so that was a bit embarrassing. But yeah, we were obsessed with those. I still to this day, whenever I see the scene in. I think it's Deathly Hollows, where Harry's trying to cheer Hermione up after Ron leaves, and he's yeah. like dancing with her, and it's kind of like, oh, they're dancing, and they're <laughs> a boy and a girl, <laughs> and you know nothing's gonna happen because they don't feel like that for each other, but you can kind of feel someone else's ship trying to like peek around the corner, like <laughs> <laughs> every time, all I hear is Ron, Ron, <laughs> Ron Weasley. <laughs> I'm just like, no, that's not going to happen. I don't care how much you ship it. It's not going to happen. I don't even care about ships. It's not going to happen. That's funny. And, I mean, we were at the, like, prime age for when Potter Puffer Pals first came out to Mm -hmm. just, like, obsess about it because it was so funny. It was so funny. These serious, serious books and these serious things and it's just like naked Dumbledore <laughs> you're like what <laughs> uh, yeah funny. naked Dumbledore is really funny and that actually is going to I think segue into one of my favorite fandom things which is this uh, artist I'm going to attempt to um, pronounce her like username it's um Flocky Nauki Nile Lithiconia. Wow. I don't think I got that right. But basically, she illustrates like four to six panel um, Harry Potter comics. And a probably good 75% of them have to do with just how silly the character of Dumbledore can get. So for sure, for sure, for sure, I will post some of these um, on Twitter. Cool. Um, some of these comics, they are so funny. 
So there's uh, one that just makes me cackle every time I see it, where uh, <laughs> Dumbledore goes up to uh, Ron, who he calls Weasel, um, <laughs> and Ron is writing with a ballpoint pen. And Dumbledore asks, you know, what do you have there, little weasel? And Ron's like, it's a ballpoint pen. It's like a quill, except I don't have to keep dipping it. Hermione gave it to me, and it's super great. And Dumbledore goes, Hermione, hmm? And the next panel is him having tied Hermione up to a stake and, like, put kindling around her. And McGonagall's like, for Pete's sake, what are you doing, Dumbledore? (laughs) And... Dumbledore responds with, I suspect Hermione might be a witch. <laughs> Light her on fire. <laughs> Gotta take care of the problem. <laughs> yeah, uh, I really like uh, the ones that address some things that we've poked at earlier. How the school just doesn't have a counselor for some reason. And, uh, you know, maybe we should start acting like adults and and double door always in the end is like nah let's do this other thing instead <laughs> and you're just like dang it Dumbledore <laughs> there's there's one um where it, it's introducing Lockhart and it's this you know alternate <laughs> scene where he's introducing himself and <laughs> what's he, your curriculum going to be like <laughs> it's gonna be a lot like uh, how I treat women going to be lacking and disappointing. Yes. <laughs> and Dumbledore, like, the punchline to that is Dumbledore just kind of hunched over the desk, and he's like, I hope Harry kills this one, too. <laughs> they're pretty terrible. They're, and they're amazing. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. So, I mean, it's... She doesn't really have an official website. She just has her own social media accounts. But um, her Facebook page has an album just of Harry Potter comics, and so it's pretty easy to just go through them. Yeah. So I'll link to that uh, probably in the show notes. Cool. So it's easy. Yeah. Um, we mentioned fan fiction a little earlier. And <laughs> fan fiction is both wonderful and terrible at the same time. Yeah. It's just like what I've experienced. I've just stopped looking at this point because it's like, wow, like this is really good world building and everybody's in character and like cool things are happening and they're having sex. Great. (laughs) Just like every single one. It's just like, okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, You know, can we get back to the world building part of it? Yeah. But you can't have fan. That's disappointing. Yeah. I can't have fan fiction with a little bit of hanky panky. Nope. (sighs) But I will say that, like, there are a lot of really good writers out there, and I think that fan fiction has gotten kind of a bad rap for a long time, just because it does have that reputation of being like, here's a, like, really amazingly written story, and now they're having sex. Mm -hmm. And, like, the weirder that the ship gets, the weirder the fic gets. Yeah. (laughs) So, unfortunately, like, it gets really weird really fast, but, um... Mary Jane did send uh, a link to me for one that is basically about um, Harry interacting with 12 Grimald Place after everything goes down. 
and um, basically how the house is like almost sentient. Yeah. And you know, it's something that's not really addressed in the books, but I really like that this person went to the effort to write, I think it was something like 20,000 words or something about how, you know, you have to treat this mansion like you are a rich snooty person because that's how it wants to be treated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's just, it's a really, you know, there's not much plot. There's, there's a little bit of plot just because like there's some dangers lurking in the shadows. But once that gets resolved, it's just like, I have a nice house now. And it's just, it's, it's cool. Yeah. It's cool that people are going into the effort um, to do this. Yeah. On, on the flip side, there is the infamous fic called My Immortal. Oh, my. Which, I mean, it, it's so infamous that it has its own Wikipedia page mm. that's, like, several hundred words long. Um, and it, it, it's, it was just a meme for a while. Um, right. It's... It is a uh, fan fiction that is split into 44 brief chapters. I'm just reading this straight off the Wikipedia page. Right. Um, there are author's notes that are dispersed throughout the narrative prose, so it breaks it up. Um, these notes are written largely in phonetic spelling and characterized the author as standoffish. Um, it's, it's known for having like such... Um, like hot topic gothic vibes because like at one point a couple of the characters are just vampires yeah just because and the name of the protagonist her name is um ebony and it's spelled several different ways throughout the story including enobi ebobi ebony ebery and nobby and nope Like, there was no proofreading at all. But her first name is some form of Ebony. Uh-huh. Darkness Dementia Raven Way. <laughs> wow. Was that her address? Dark- no, that's her name. Oh, okay. Ebony Darkness <laughs> Dementia Raven Way. Raven Way sounded like a street. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, I really want to, like just mention it because (laughs) even though it's not something that I have personally read, the fact that it is just like so well known it's noteworthy and it exists is just so funny to me. Yeah. I love it. Yep. It's a, it's a great big world with all sorts of people that will just create things that are just something you would have never thought would exist. And that's like the fun part about it is like you just get exposed to just this like, wow, like, I would have never thought I would never thought that this kind of thing would be written, but it is, and this is just the variety of life here, you know. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. why I've stopped looking, though. Right, I just and that's it just understandable. Makes me, it just makes me more cynical and more just like there is a human being on this planet who sat at their computer and wrote this. Yeah, <laughs> and they exist, and I could meet them someday potentially. It's crazy. Like, they could just. I guess Ugh. I guess that's the thrilling part to me, and I'm just like, what a what a wonder. <laughs> Is it you? Could you be Raven Darkness Dementia Raven Way? Dementia Raven Way. <laughs> oh. Um, 
And of course, like, because of internet commerce, there's a lot of, like, merchandise, unofficial merchandise out there that I really love. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I just, like, I want every scarf, every single scarf that exists yeah. that all of the Harry Potter students have. Yeah. Or the Hogwarts students, I should say. They look snug. All of the ones, they just, they do. <laughs> And I want a wand. Like, I so want badly. to find... I'm sure it exists, but I want to go and find somebody who will make a wand based off of my Pottermore result. Yeah. And I want them to send it to me. Right. I've just realized I've never wanted Harry Potter merchandise ever because I'm a minimalist. But I just realized what I want. What? I want a Weasley sweater. Oh my yeah, gosh. Yeah, the lumpy it's, warm sweaters. Yeah, because it's usable. Like, it's subtle. Nobody's going to be like, that girl likes Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. They're going to be like, why does she have a giant M on her shirt? Like, <laughs> Exactly. Oh my gosh. I need to... I need to waste this. <laughs> I'm sure Etsy, there's probably Etsy um, sites that knit them just like Mrs. Weasley would. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That weirdly warm and cozy, but also slightly scratchy wool. Mm-hmm. Yep. <sighs> and you can wear it to... Uh... The wonderful world of Harry Potter yeah. when you decide to go, which also exists, and I just love that it exists. Yeah, that you can go and they have a place where it's like, come visit Gringotts, come get a butterbeer, right? Come get like I just like uh, I want to go. You nerds, yeah, come in. <laughs> we'll be like, yay, <laughs> we're nerds. I'm surrounded by people like me. Yay. <laughs> I, I think that nerds are one of the like easiest to exploit demographics yeah, out there. Certainly. <laughs> oh man. Well, do we have any final thoughts? No. I think we pretty much covered it. Yeah. I just uh I just really wish there was better fan fiction. There was this one <laughs> There was this one fan art. I don't think the Harry Potter fan art is that good. Um, but there's this one. Is It's also like a little comic. And it's... It focuses on Draco's redemption arc in <laughs> Cursed Child. Ooh. And I hate Cursed Child. I've tried reading it several times. And I just can't. It makes me just want to <laughs> scratch out my eyes. Um... <laughs> But there's this adorable comic where Scorpius comes in. He's like in the manor and he, he walks in. Scorpius is Draco's son. And he's wearing a Weasley sweater <laughs> with an S on it. He's like, Dad, look at this cool sweater that Mrs. Weasley. And then he looks over and his dad is wearing a Weasley sweater. And is just like crying. <laughs> just like snot coming out of his nose. Oh just like actual tears. And just like, Bleh! And Scorpius is just like. I I do like, I guess I'm not done. I do like, you know, obviously fan fiction or one thing, but if you want like fan fiction light, Tumblr is a really good place to go for headcanons mm-hmm. where people just do like the little snippets of like, well, you know, it's not super in depth in the books, but I like to imagine that off-screen this is happening, and I really, really like a lot of the headcanons that people come up with. Um, I see in kind of fan art, one of the more common themes is that Harry is actually Indian, and 
because uh, you know James was Indian, and um, Hermione is black, which explains her frizzy brown hair, and you know it's it is kind of a shame that there's a lack of diversity in the the movies, but uh, fans are really good at coming through with yeah. with head like, mm-hmm. just being like nope. This is how it is. Yep. Yeah. Well, Suck thing- it, Warner Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the thing about them is that, like, it makes sense, too, because Rowling never really describes, like, Harry or Hermione's skin tone. You can assume that Ron's is white because he's got red hair. And you can assume that Lily is white because she also has, like, I think auburn hair. Mm-hmm. But, um, Yeah. As far as James and, and Hermione and her parents go, like, there's, no, there's, there's no description. Also, like, wizards are definitely in the minority. Yeah. So why would almost all of them be Caucasian? Yeah. Like, you know, if you're trying to pull them from all over the country, you're going to end up with a mixed group of people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not going to just end up with white kids. Right. And, like, and they do, talks. yeah, they do have, they do show a little bit in the movies. They're not all completely white, but they are in a British um, wizarding school. So I guess that might explain it, but you're right. I mean, if they are the minority, they probably have to travel far for school to begin with. So you would be getting all sorts of wizards from. Yeah. But that right. also begs the question is like how, where, where are all the schools in the world located? You know? Right. And I think it's pretty safe to assume that Hogwarts is the only one in the British Isles. Right. Since uh, Seamus is obviously Irish, uh-huh. so he's on a, you know, different island. Sure. Um, and I think, I, I mean, I could be just pulling this out of my butt, but I think that one of the students also mentions that she's Welsh. Right. And so, yeah, like I said, I think it's pretty safe to say it's not just England, but probably the entire British Isles. Uh-huh. And then sure. there's very strong implications that um, Durmstrang, one of the um, schools it's in Goblet of like Fire, is in like yeah, like Eastern Europe probably, if not Russia. And then um, uh, what's the name of the other school? Bobatton. Bo- yeah. Well, I don't know. Okay. And that Something. and that Bobatton is French or you know, yeah, they'd definitely be Western French. European. Yeah. Yeah, and I think very, very um, briefly they mention like a really big wizard population in Morocco or something. Sometime in the mm. book, I can't remember. But they're like, oh, yes, the wizard administration in Morocco or something. And I was like, wait a second. Like, I want to yeah. learn more. So, I mean, I think it's pretty safe to assume that like wizard political boundaries are probably different from muggle political boundaries and that they tend to be a lot bigger just because they are in the minority so they have to pull from right you know a wider land mass in order to get a decent population yeah yeah so here we are headcanoning ourselves (laughs) trying to figure it out this is great um yeah, I'll try to I'll try to post some of the more charming headcanons that I've found online. Honestly, the Reddit, um, the Harry Potter subreddit is really great for that. There's a lot of people yeah. who, you know, like think through it and they're like, I just realized this. And they type out all of their thoughts and mm-hmm. it's like, wow, it's really difficult to confirm that. But I like it. Makes me happy. Accepted. Yeah. 
All right. And with that, I think we're just going to abruptly end. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't think we have anything else to say, do we? I'm very tired. Okay. Yeah. uh, As of this recording, Mary Jane and I are doing this very, very close to bedtime. So, yeah, yeah, we're I think we're going to just call it good. We've been on this phone call for almost three hours now. Oh, yes. Uh, So (laughs) there's a lot to say, though. What can you do? You know? Yeah. Yeah. So thank you, listeners, for joining us for this uh, fun episode of Kitten Whiskers and Kanye, where we talk about one of our favorite fantasy series, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, loved by ourselves and by people the world over. <laughs> that, was, that was beautiful. Oh, I thank you. I I also pulled that out of my butt. Yeah, so. well, you presented That's it where... very, very nicely. Uh, like a Ravenclaw? Yes. One would say as a Ravenclaw would. <laughs> so you can find us, as I previously mentioned, on social media, on Twitter, at Kittens and Kanye. And Instagram, at Kitten Whiskers and Kanye. And if you are on your computer at any point in the near future, maybe you can uh, hop onto iTunes or onto Apple Podcasts and uh, leave us, us a, a, like. a review. Yeah. Yeah. Just uh, click click one of the stars. Uh, hopefully, the fifth one, yeah, and not the first one, please. <laughs> um, and if they're gonna listen to two hours of the podcast, <laughs> yeah. probably not gonna click one star. I, sure hope so. I might, I might also like split this up into two episodes. We'll I was see. thinking that too. Yeah, maybe. This, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess the future audience will find out because uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll step in and I'll be like, hey folks this is Audrey, I'm interrupting now to say, sorry this is so long. <laughs> you should use that exact recording that you just did that one right there. That one right there? Yeah, the one that okay. you just said. Oh, hi folks! <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, if, if you do that then we will uh, personally thank you on a future episode. Yes. The next recording that we do. So until next time, I'm Audrey Stratton. I'm Carmen Thorley. I'm Mary Jane. <laughs> and this has been Kitten Whiskers and Kanye. Uh, oh. Um, what you gonna eat? I'm gonna eat some cake and ice cream, probably. Most likely. <laughs> Leftover <laughs> from yesterday. Yeah.